I'm so excited for tonight. I can't wait. <laughs> Gavin, you can come up. I'm just so excited. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you believe you have victory through Jesus? From that cheer, I don't think many of you know what victory means in Jesus. Hey, do you believe you got victory in Jesus? What a great scripture verse there, Kim, out of Romans. Wow. You believe yet that he's given you everything that you need? Do you believe that yet? Some of you don't know what everything means just yet. Okay, I want you to follow along with me. Everybody? (sighs) You ever go on a walk and do that? Canyon, buddy, good to see you, man. (laughs) You ever go for a walk and do that? Isn't that great, going for a walk and just... (sighs) Anybody do that on the way from the calf to here tonight? Yeah? Up from the Morrison... Oh, that's nice and fresh. Anybody likes to go for walks? Anybody? I love walks. Our walk's great. You know who really likes to go for a walk? That guy right there. That guy really likes to walk. And you know what? There's a person here at this school that reminds me of this guy. Paul? Paul, yeah. There's another person who's got a bit of a swagger like that that reminds me of this guy. So why don't you guys welcome Benjamin Koisten. Yeah. <laughs> right? See? Doesn't that look like Ben up there? <laughs> yeah, you can go. Give it up for Ben. Give it up for Ben. <laughs> no purpose to that except I think the guy reminds me of Ben. And so Ben is a good guy and tagged along and allowed me to do that. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) I love walking. I I go for walks with my wife often, uh, and we started doing it when we had kids, because that's what you do when you have kids. You just put them in a stroller and you go for walks because it makes them fall asleep, and it's a lot cheaper than gas having to drive them around everywhere, so you go for walks. So I love going for walks. It's also been awesome walking through our scripture passage for the last couple weeks out of Second Peter. This walk through his passage as Peter himself got to walk with Jesus. He is a blessing that we never get to experience of this physical walking beside Jesus. Yet at the same time, both Jesus himself said, it's better for you that I go, that the Holy Spirit is to come. And Peter also says in his first letter... That those who have never walked with Jesus physically, that they have this inexpressible and this glorious joy about them, that their faith is so large because they have the benefit of following Jesus full of faith without actually seeing him. He says that it's a benefit, it's a blessing, that they have this inexpressible joy about them, that their faith is stronger Because they actually believe full-heartedly without even physically seeing or walking with Jesus. Interesting. I've been thinking lots about Peter these last couple of weeks. Is that buzz me or is that somebody else? Don't know? I hear a buzz back there. 
Joel, can you check to see if it's your aunt? No? Just me? All right. This, uh, this walk that we've been going through with Peter through his scripture passage, I've been thinking about him a lot. How we started a couple weeks ago and I mentioned that he wrote his letter to uh, the church in general. Not specifically to a location, but to those who are followers of the way he wrote his letter to. And Paul began his second letter with the title, Servant and... Oh, I was really hoping you'd win on that one. Servant and Apostle, right? But he's talking about what it means to be a slave for Jesus and talking about what it means to be uh, an ambassador, an apostle for Jesus. This both like slave to Christ and a speaker for Christ and the spectrum of authority and humility. And I just love that about Peter. Now he's near the end of his life as he wrote this letter, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And I'm going to take the liberty, for those who are visiting tonight, I'm going to take the liberty that the majority of our students have been through these sermons, so I'm just going to assume a few things. Uh, And so bear with me tonight as we kind of overcast what we've been talking about and land in our scripture for this evening. And so Peter, he had this nearing the end of his life wisdom that he's sharing in his letter that we get to receive the benefit of. And I desire wisdom like he has wisdom. And I desire humility like he has humility. To be able to state himself as a slave, Simon, Peter, still going by his first name, original name, but labeling the name that he was given by Christ because he knows who he is through Jesus. But that he is only who he is through Jesus because of what Jesus has done for him. A slave, a servant, yet given the authority of being an apostle, to share the good news. So he writes to the believers and he challenges them and encourages them in acting out their faith. Not so that they gain salvation, but because they have already gained salvation, this is an expression of who they are in their faith in Jesus. Not that it's works to gain it, but because they have gained it, there's works that follow and that we're to strive diligently in. So we talked about faith and that it's a gift of faith. So some quick overviews, okay? Overviews of faith. First, it is the assurance of things hoped for. Can we throw that up there? Assurance of things hoped for. Certain of what we do not see. That's out of Hebrews. Also, that we cannot please God without faith. We need faith to please Him. Also, in Hebrews. That in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message of Christ. That's how it's gained. That's how we receive it. Is upon hearing the gospel. Upon hearing the message of Jesus. Next slide. We receive faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we hear it and gain it and we receive it because of what Jesus has done and as he grants it and gives it to us. And the result of our faith is the salvation of our souls. That's the result of faith. Of what we do is the salvation of our souls. We live this life of faith in this journey towards the salvation of our souls. It's only through faith And through the power of the Spirit, this divine nature, that we can even obey the gospel. It's only through the Spirit and the faith given that we can hear it, that we can receive it, and that we can obey to it, and ultimately get to the goal of it, which is salvation of our souls. 
We're promised the Holy Spirit. We're promised forgiveness of sins. We're promised answered prayers. We're promised hope for eternity. We're promised salvation through Jesus, through what he's done. We're promised that he will never leave us, nor forsake us. I'm going to say it again. He has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything that we need. Everything. The definition of everything is all things. All things, all the things. That's the definition of everything. All things, semicolon, all the things. Definition. Like it means everything you have been given. Scripture, Romans 8, that Kim spoke of. He has given us everything. Everything we need for life and for godliness. He has given to us. And do you remember by what means, through what means do we gain it? It says it in our second Peter chapter. It starts with a K. But starts really with a N sound. Uh, knowledge, yeah, awesome, great. <laughs> We're going to read it together. We're going to read it together, so why don't you open up your Bibles. If you're like me, your, your ribbon is there. We've been here all week, so it's there. So why don't you open up Second Peter chapter 1 with me. And you know what I'm going to get you to do? I'm going to get you to stand with me. I'm going to get you to stand with me. We'll have the scripture up on the screen as well. And I'm going to get you to read it along with me, too. My NIV translation is a little different than the NIV translation on here, so I'm going to read it up on here with you as well. Okay? Everybody follow along? Let's do it together. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, confirming one's calling and election. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Amen. You may take a seat. How hard was that for you? I loved it. Power. Wow. Reading truth over ourselves. Speaking scripture and promises and life out loud. Declaring it to ourselves is very powerful. Is extremely powerful. We have been given everything that we need. But then God has some funny math, right? We've been given everything that we need. But then we're to make every effort to add to our faith. Goodness, knowledge, self-control. I'm going to remember it. Perseverance, uh, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Got them all. Yeah. (laughs) I knew I could do it. (laughs) That's funny math. We've been given everything, yet now we're supposed to add these things? Well, that's funny math. I thought everything meant all things, all the things. And then we're to add things to all the things? Funny God's math, how it works sometimes. But I think it's more than adding to what he's just giving. It's more working with what he's granted us. And that's what Kim talked about two weeks ago. This garden picture that she had up here. That we've been given this place. We've been giving our, given our resources. Went to the story, to the beginning of Adam and Eve. That God gave Adam everything. The word everything. All the things is used in scripture there. That God gave him everything. And so I think along the lines of even baking, right? You can have all the ingredients, but then you need to actually put them together to make the dish that you want to make, right? It's this wonderful relationship that God has that he gives us everything. Yet he desires us to work with what he's given us. To work, to put our hands to the test, to put our minds to the test, to put our hearts and our souls to the test of what he's given us. That we would walk it out And to see his goodness flourish through what we do. To make effort to attain what I already possess, I think is more to fully possess what I've already attained. So you have it. It's there. He just wants you to possess it. Fully grasp it. And live it out to the best of your ability. So he's truly given you everything that you need. In regards of friendships. He's given you the kindness needed to be able to forgive a sin or a hurt that somebody's done in your life. Like he's given you the ability to forgive before somebody would even apologize to you. Wow. We can forgive before somebody even confesses or repents. Christ has done that for us. Knowledge that can make us effective. That can make us productive. He's given it to us. He's given us the ability to grasp his word and his truths and his promises. That the spirit would have cemented into our minds and bring it to our hearts. Self-control. He's given us the power to withstand lust and anger, temptation and bitterness. He's given us what we need to control ourselves and to withstand these things. We have it in us. It's the divine nature. It's the Holy Spirit already here with us. He's given it to us. 
to be able to live a life of love and of generosity and of peace, grace and peace abundant, he has given to us. And again, Peter is not saying that you have to do these things of self-control and godliness and perseverance to gain acceptance, to gain salvation. It's because of salvation that you're able to live these things fully out. It's the spirit that flows through you because of salvation. Because of salvation. I've been thinking lots about my own salvation because of Peter's salvation. The journey that I personally have been going through in the life of Peter through this study. From his salvation experience to where he is at at the end of his journey. And so often he thinks back to that moment of salvation. That we have to remember because of salvation. That moment of realization that I cannot do it on my own. That I am in desperate need of a savior. And we get to that place of realization of desperate need of salvation through Jesus. Hope is abound. Hope comes alive. In a place of utter hopelessness, hope is birthed. Hope is given and received. And and these virtues are indicators that God is at work in your life. So here's the thing. I'd love to have a conversation between James, who wrote his letter James, and the Apostle Paul, who wrote many letters in the New Testament, on the subject of faith. Because James, in his letter, says, What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? He also says a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Paul, he chimes in in his letter, specifically the one in Romans. He says, a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So I'd really love to have a conversation between the two of them and hear them go back and forth on why they wrote what they wrote. Now, Paul is specifically speaking to the regulations of the law that we cannot, through the law that we read in Old Testament scriptures, uh, gain salvation through those acts and those deeds. And what James is saying is that faith needs to be accompanied by, deeds is where we get confused in the language, because it's supposed to be accompanied by expression rather than just deeds. Because it's not faith alone, it's faith that is alone that James is talking about. Where it's just a belief, but no overflow. Just a, just a, belief, a thought, but no action that follows along with it. So yes, we're saved by faith alone, but true faith is never just alone. It's expressed overflowing in love, in brotherly kindness, in perseverance, in self-control, in knowledge, in goodness, in godliness. It's expressive. It overflows. So it's not just a belief, but it is an experience. It is an overflow of action. So they're not contradicting each other. Paul says to the church, the Galatian church, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressed itself through love. So they would agree on the fact that faith has to have an expressive part to it. It's not just a belief. It's not just a hope. There's actually an expressive part to it that's lived out to be true, to be genuine. And Kim talked about that with the cultivating of our garden of putting in the work, 
that is needed to add to the gift that God has given to us. Kim also talked about the warning that Peter gives in verses 8 and 9. A bit of a sharp warning of being nearsighted, of being blind, willfully choosing to not see the goodness of God. And when you were talking about it last week, all I could think about was the cartoon character Mr. Magoo. Now, many of you are probably way too young to have any clue on who Mr. Magoo is. You don't even know who it is? Oh, my goodness. Anybody know who Mr. Magoo is? Yeah, good, awesome. My old soul's in here. Mr. Magoo started off as a cartoon. There's actually a live-action movie that was probably in the 90s made as well. Uh, It is a rich old white guy that um, is very nearsighted, very, very poor in his sight, but doesn't actually think that he has bad vision. And so it's actually a cartoon comedy that he will talk to like mannequins thinking they're real persons and he will do things like he went to a boxing match and he thought he went to a dancing class because he heard the punchings but he thought it was like feet on the floor dancing and so he's like dancing in this boxing ring as people are fighting. It's an old cartoon. Uh, But this concept of he is willfully choosing to neglect the fact that he's nearsighted, that he's blind and he's going to continue to live on anyways. And because he is, he's clumsy and he crashes into thing and there's humor in it. Mr. Magoo, look it up, okay? But this concept of whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, so willfully blind, what Kim talked about, where Peter warns us that they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their former sins. Wow, that's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be where we forget that we were once cleansed from sin. You know what that means? That means that we forget that we're in need of a savior. That means that we forget that we were once slaves to sin. And that's where we get to a place in our own life where we then think, "Ah, I deserve more than what I really have right now. Ah, I should be getting this when they're getting that. I should be getting that, not them. We begin to think more highly than we ought to of ourselves. We begin to be a little bit more prideful, a little bit more arrogant, and think, why hasn't this happened yet, God? Why do I have to wait and they don't? And we become nearsighted and we forget. We get so surrounded by our situations that we don't actually look forward or far enough to the promises of God because we're so willfully blind and ignorant of what he's done. So we've been redeemed. We've been set free. We've been saved and given hope that changes lives. And when faith becomes non-expressive, when it becomes stagnant in our lives, we easily forget that we were once slaves to sin rather than being slaves to Christ. We forget We just forget. We're human beings. We're forgetful. Kim talked about the the nation of Israel forgetting. They found success when they would remember the things that God has done for them. That they brought them out of Egypt. That these miracles took place where he fed them and gave them food and drink for years in a desert. That he's literally saved lives For years and years and years, the plagues, the miracles, Mount Sinai, the cloud, everything. And they forget. And when they forget, they failed. But when they remember, they succeeded. When they remember the things that God did, they succeeded. 
James actually, again, he gives a great picture of this concept of, of forgetting. James chapter 1, right? Do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And if you do not do what it says, it's like a man who looks at himself in a mirror. And then as he turns away, he instantly forgets what he looks like. So he's talking about the concept of looking at the word, of knowing the word, knowing Jesus, knowing about your faith in him, responding expressively, doing what it says, that if we choose not to do what it says, we actually forget the need of him. We forget who we are. We forget that we're sinners. We forget that we're broken people. We forget that we are in need of a sinner. Just like the person who looks away and forgets what he looks like, as we look away by being stagnant in our faith, we forget who we are as slaves to sin in need of a Savior. I think of Peter. The story that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, where he learned of his identity, was when he confessed Jesus as Savior. When he confessed Christ as Savior, he learned his identity, that he was now Peter, a rock in which that Christ would build his church. He gained his value, his worth, and his identity. It's upon his confession of when he didn't claim Christ as Savior that he lost his way, and he lost who he was, denying Christ three times. He lost his identity. He forgot who he was in that moment and had to be then reinstated again by Christ. When we forget our need for Christ, we forget who we are. We forget our identity. And that happens when we are nearsighted, when we are blind, when our goal is only for our present needs and not looking forward to the long-term eternal life of serving God. So I want to get to our Two scripture verses for today. That was a bit of a recap. I wanted to calibrate us to get us in on point for these two scripture verses that we're going to finish up our series this evening. So uh, verses 10 and 11. Can you put them up on the screen there again? It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in this passage, the way that Peter kind of illustrated it, he started off with promises that grace and peace is yours in abundance through your knowledge of Jesus, that you have everything that you need through the divine power of God to live a life of godliness. These promises he labels at the top of it. Then he goes into make every effort. He uses that language, make every effort to add to your faith these virtues. And he lists these things to add to your faith. Then he talks about remembering. And to finish it off, he, does it, he goes in reverse order. He goes back to make every effort. Make every effort that you possibly can to confirm your calling and your election. My Bible says to be eager. To be eager in confirming your calling and your election. Eager is this willingness, it's this desire, this want to work. That I'm willing to do the work that is necessary to get the outcome of it. I'm eager to do it because I know what the outcome is. To make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. And the calling and the election in this 
is not necessarily like a call into ministry. It's not necessarily a call into a career. Here specifically, this is the call of salvation that Christ gives to those who follow him. This is salvation calling. I've called you home to come with me. I've called you. I've prepared a place for you, my bride in whom I love. So this calling is this salvation message to make every effort to for sure your calling and your election. And then he lands with promises again. He begins with promises, goes to efforts, talks about us to remember, goes back to efforts, and he finishes with promises again. And the promises are that you will never stumble and that you will receive a rich welcome. A rich welcome into eternity. Have you ever um, taken the ferry to uh, Vancouver Island before? Have you ever been at, uh, like, you've driven up and they say, oh, there's possibly a wait? Have you ever had those words say to you as you drive up to, like, the booth? Yeah? <laughs> Like 700 times? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My wife, her family lives on Vancouver Island, and so we go most holidays. And uh, we would go and we would plead and pray on the way up to that ferry terminal. Oh, please get on this ferry. We don't want to have to wait. We don't want to have to wait. Uh, and you hear that dreaded saying, there may possibly, or you see it on the sign, possibly one sailing wait. Oh, I hate that. You know what's a really good feeling? Driving up to that ferry when you have a reservation already in your visa, right? When you've paid that $17, it's a lot, but I get it. But I tell you, it's worth it. Because when you drive up as a dad with your wife in the passenger seat and your boys watching cartoons in the back, and you're like, don't worry, I got this. And it says like one sailing weight. And you're like... Here's my President's Choice MasterCard reservations on there. I got this. I got this covered. There's confidence. There's assurance knowing that we're going to get on that ferry. <laughs> I have been promised by BC Ferries that I won't have to wait that possible sailing wait. Well, we've been promised a rich welcome into eternal heaven with Jesus, that there's assurance and there's confidence that brews inside of us because of these promises that we stand upon, that we don't have to worry or be shaken or concerned if I'm going to make it or not, because I've been promised that there is a place that has been prepared for me, that I will have a seat at my father's table one day. With Jesus, as he looks across the table to his bride, and he will see us as pure and spotless and without blemish, with our name tags sitting on that plate. What a promise. What a hope. Peter is saying that those who doubt their salvation, those who doubt this, don't understand the promises of what's to come. They lack comfort. They lack assurance because they're not certain about their salvation. They're not living in this abundance of victory. 
Because they're so clouded by their circumstances about what's going on around them that they neglect and forget what God's promises really, truly are. Have you ever been in that place? Yep. I've been in that place lots. And I have to remind myself again that through my knowledge and understanding of his promises, of what God's done, by remembering my salvation through Jesus alone, my need and assurance for him, that I can rest in the hope of eternal life. I can rest that things are in control. I can proclaim victory when it seems like the victory is so far away that it may never happen. I can proclaim it because I have peace that my sins are forgiven. I can be rest assured in the hope of heaven. And so he says, make every effort. And he summarizes it. Make every effort by your knowledge Make every effort in these virtues. Make every effort in remembering what God has done in your life. And if you do, you will never stumble. You will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into eternity. Now we may trip every once in a while. We may trip. It's hard. The journey is a long one. And so often in our world, in our mindset, and I think in our North American context, we get so caught up on wanting things now instantly done. And we struggle with the process. We struggle with the journey of getting there. We just want to get there. Anybody else like that? Like we, right, we live in a world where it's just surrounding us all the time. News is immediate and instant and so fast. Social media, you post something and the world can see it in seconds. Microwaves, right? We can cook something super fast. God's not interested in the instant lifestyle. He's not. He's interested in the slow roasted, turkey basted meal. Not the quick press the button, boop, 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 and it's done. Actually, I was chatting with our cook, uh, Derek, right? I should remember this. Yeah, Derek. Uh, tonight, before dinner. I asked him, what's his favorite dish to make? And he said, soup is his favorite dish to make. And I said, really? Why soup? And he's like, because of the time and the effort that you got to put into making it. He says he takes up to four to five days on some of his soups that he makes. Yeah. And he says they're the best meals that he ever has. And I, I can get that. The flavors that get into it when you put time and effort into a meal. The flavor and the life that you get when you put time and effort into your walk with God. And so often we think, man, I just want it now. I'm not there. I'm not good enough. And we forget to remember where we were to where we are right now. That we're actually somewhere. That God's goodness is real and evident in our life. And we forget to remember of the things that God has already done. And so I actually brought my garden Kim did her garden, so here's, here's my garden that I wanted to show you. Now, it ain't as, as polished as Kim's garden. Okay, not as polished as Kim's garden. But these things, uh, they're precious to me. I love them. I love them a lot. I talked about faith as a gift, as a treasure, and you got to protect it. This is, this is my, uh, I have faith in these, in these, uh, these plants. So uh, let me tell you a quick story about these plants. So uh, I have two boys, right? Seth, Simeon. 
And about just shy of three years ago, uh, we didn't have Simeon yet. Um, Seth was in Sunday school class, and he had uh, done a little craft, and he brought home this little craft that was like one of those plastic drinking cups. And they had like, I don't know if it's like called like a chia pet where the grass seeds are in it, and you like cut the grass all the time. And he had little two like googly eyes on the cup, so we thought it was adorable. So we put it on our windowsill, and we loved it, and, and he would help me cut the grass on the little thing. And we loved it. And one day, without Rebecca and I knowing, uh, he was eating an apple, and he got to the center of his apple, and he just randomly stuck the seeds of his apple into his little Sunday school craft, without Rebecca and I knowing. And then one day at dinner, Rebecca was like, hey, I noticed there's a little leaf in Seth's little, like, grass plant. I was like, really? Took a look at it, and I was like, Seth, what is this? And he told us uh, that he stuck his apple seed in the little plant. (laughs) We're like, oh, that's kind of funny. So we let it grow a little bit, and it sprouted. And it got too big for this little plastic cup, so we replanted it into, like, one little plant. One little plant pot, that, like, beige color one that you get at the dollar store, right? And so we stuck it in there, and then it grew a little bit more. And we thought, wow, this thing is actually getting too big for this. We're going to stick it into a bigger one. So we stuck it into a bigger one and a second one started shooting out. And so we stuck them in two bigger ones. And in the last almost three years, two and a half to three years, they've grown to this. And then another one has grown here too. Which is so amazing that a three-year-old planted this. And my hope and my goal is that one day I will get to eat fruit from a tree that my son planted. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that is a long ways away until I'm going to get to eat a sour little apple from one of these trees, right? (laughs) It's going to start that way. We all know it. But I'm going to love it. It's going to taste better than any other apple I bought from the store, right? The time and the years put in. But we so often forget where God has taken us from the beginning. That if we remember, we don't forget, but we remember our salvation. We can see the growth. We can see what God has done in our lives. It's taken nearly three years to get to this point. And it'll take a lot more. It seems pretty similar to my life as well, and I think yours too. There's a lot to go until you feel that you're producing something. But we can't neglect what God has already done in your life. So it may not be much, but it's pretty special to me. And I think what God's doing in your life is pretty special too. I think he's done a lot in your life that he cares so much about. That he cares about the journey of you getting to your destination. He cares about the destination. But he cares about you en route to that destination just as much. So he promises us that through knowledge, that through making effort to adding virtues into our life, to remembering, not forgetting, that we will never fall. For every action of our faith, there's a reaction from the Spirit. He'll be with us every step of the way. He's with us. Every kind word Hope is increased. Every forgiveness granted, empathy increases in us. Every moment of generosity, thankfulness is created. Like every action we do in faith, the Spirit has a reaction, both in yours and others that you affect in your life. 
And it's this walk of faith. This journey of this slow saunter of what it means to walk with Jesus. I read this article out of faith today. Uh, Kim and I had put these out on the tables uh, in front of our offices so that people can like breeze through it if we're taking too long in any of our mentoring sessions. <laughs> and uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll flip through them. I don't often, but every once in a while I will. And an article came up about uh, this one pastor that I do like to read, um, his books, Mark Buchanan. And he talks about this walking in faith, the joy of walking a life of faith. And he talks about that him and his wife go walking often. And so I can resonate with that. So I was interested. So I was reading through and he talks about how the pace of life is so fast today that we actually need to just slow down to catch up with God because we're going way faster than what God intends our lives to be. And he walks about three miles an hour, which he says is probably the pace of the working of the Holy Spirit too. And as he slows down, he notices things. He notices trees. He notices certain flowers in people's yards. He notices sounds of the birds. He has a great conversation with his wife. And he often walks by himself too. And I've started to, a little bit, doing the same thing. Well, I'll just go for walks. I like to go more with my family. It's the best. Chilliwack's great for it. There's rivers uh, that we can, there's multiple rivers and multiple lakes in a 20 minute drive that we can get to. And so we walk all the time. Um, Our kids like to run up and play on the playgrounds, but we just like to walk and hear the sounds of the water, hear the sounds of nature, talk to each other about what's going on and just slow things down. One, because we're parents and we don't want our kids to get older and we just want them to stay where they're at because we love it. Uh, But it's really helped us in this concept of just slowing down to this pace where we can listen to each other easier, talk with each other easier, hear from each other easier. And God desires the same in our own life. And Buchanan, he talks about God cares just as much as the going there as the getting there. That journey, he cares just as much about the going as he does the getting there. And he talks about how in Christianity, we don't really have this thing that we do over and over and over as this repetitive thing to gain this closeness and intimacy with God. Other religions have certain things that they do as a repetitiveness. We have our ordinance of like communion and baptism, but it's not the same thing that we just do over and over and over and over to gain this intimacy and closeness um, spiritually with God. And he says, we as Christians should walk is what we should do. Scripturally speaking, they're all on foot, right? And the story of the, of the Israel nation journeying on foot to Egypt, out of Egypt, to where God calls them, to the promised land, to Mount Sinai, they journey in this walking on foot. I even think of Gospels and how uh, they are designed on the journey that Jesus took to the cross and this walking to the cross. Paul's missional journeys as he's walking on foot to location. Yes, by boat, I understand that too. But walking on foot to locations. And that we are to walk in step with the Spirit. That we're to walk in truth. That we're to walk in love with one another. To be in step with the Spirit. So this concept of walking slows us down so that we can catch up with God. And so I want to challenge you. Walk, like, around the track in the field, up and down the hill. Take a left at the bottom of the hill. It's beautiful that way. 
There's paths, there's trails, and go for walks. And listen to what God is saying in those moments. Listen to what he's saying to you. How far I have taken you from where you started. And Kim talked about remembering the things that God has done. And I think scripturally too, what he's talking about, this promise of heaven, we are to remember the things that God still has yet to be done. To remember the things that have happened to me, but to also remember the things that are still yet to be. Remember the things that are done, but remember the things that are to come. I don't care which way you rhyme it, but stick it in your head to remember what God has done and what is still yet to come. And if we remember those two things, grace and peace will be yours in abundance. We will believe that when he says everything, it means everything. The seven virtues will flow out of our lives because we will desire eagerly and willing and wanting to work it out of our lives. And then we can rest assured that we won't fall and that we will have a place at that table in heaven one day. I want to finish off with this and I'm going to invite the band to come on up. In Revelations chapter 19, verses 5 to 9, there's a great scripture verse of promise and of hope. It says this, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear and fine linen stands for righteous acts of God's holy people. That the righteous acts, the virtues lived out, expressed in faith. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're invited. We're invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That there is a place at the table for you. I'm taking the liberty to believe that each person here has confessed Christ as Savior in their life, even those who are visiting. If not, I'd love for you to chat with me following the service. I would love nothing more than to have a conversation with you. But I'm taking the liberty to believe that each person has confessed Christ as Savior. And if we do so, that we are then at right standing with God, main place on that table. That we have a feast to look forward to. A great meal that probably wasn't put in a microwave. (laughs) That for a long time probably was prepared. (laughs) And promises after promises to look forward to. And I so much look forward to that day. But I'm also going to enjoy the journey of getting there. To take it in. Because it's a blessing take in the work of what it means to be at school, to be involved in ministry, to figure out friendships and relationships and career paths in the future, to enjoy the work of it, to be grateful for the grind of it. Ecclesiastes 3 says some of the biggest blessings of God are to eat, to drink, and to enjoy your toil. Wow, that simplifies life a bit, eh? 
eat, to drink, and to just enjoy the work that God has put in front of us. And so tonight I want to give you an opportunity mainly to remember your salvation, to remember what God has done in your life. But then also remember the promises that are still yet to be. And if you do so, man, you're going to receive a rich welcome, a rich welcome into eternity with Jesus. Don't you stand with me? encourage you. If you want to walk around, go for a walk. Slow down. You'll catch up with them. Take some time in here to slow the pace of your mind and your heart and let the Spirit just speak to you. Speak His truth and His promises over you. That might be actually going into Scripture and just reading it over your life to remind yourself of the promises that are still to come just be journaling and remembering the things that God has done, how far he's already brought you. Yeah, there's work to be done still, but he's brought you further along than we give ourselves credit for sometimes. So maybe we just need to thank him for where he's brought me. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And Lord, we, we confess and we repent of the time where we are so blinded and so nearsighted. Where we focus so much on our concerns and our worries we neglect the truth that we have everything we need. We have it all. You satisfy our truest, deepest desires. And Lord, would you remind us of that tonight? Spirit, I pray, as close as I know you are, as I believe that you are in this moment, would you remind each of us how far you've brought us? Remind us at how much still there is to do and how excited you are to journey with us in this walk of faith. Front is open for you. God bless you.